Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to episode 46 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Hillary Allen. I'm Corinne Malcolm. And I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm doing the intro because we're interviewing our very own Corinne Malcolm today, so we thought it would be a little bit redundant to have her do the intro for her own episode. So hope you like it. <laughs> but yeah, so to start things off, um, I think we always love to do this is where we are at in the world because Corinne, um, it's been a little bit of a saga lately. Where are you exactly? I am finally in a hotel room in London. <laughs> it's after 11 p.m. local time. I uh, We tried to record last night while I was in Madeira at 11 p.m. local time and had some uh, some technology issues. <laughs> And we kind of had our fingers crossed that we wouldn't have technology issues today. We don't. My internet seems to be working. So go us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm currently in London. I fly. When this comes out, I'll be like, hopefully just having landed in uh, in Seattle back home. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, obviously, you're coming back from Madeira. That's what this whole this whole meat and potatoes episode is about, interviewing you about your race. Um but yeah, before we get into that, we've got some business things to tend to. But Keely, what's the life update on your end? Mm, I took the MCAT. Thanks to all the <laughs> fans who reached out and cheered me on. <laughs> um, I don't know how I did. I'm not going to tell anybody how I did. But even if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. But like, you don't find out for a month. That's really evil. Like They're like, oh, here, take this test and then sit on it for a month and think about all the questions you got wrong. <laughs> Um, but no, it, it went as well as like, I think it did. And I feel like you just kind of have to have faith that you, you put in all you could. Um, yeah. and now I'm kind of on the training horse again. So I got like a nice celebratory run in the day after the test with no real agenda. And then I've kind of been on the training grind ever since. And so I've been starting to log some bigger weeks and have some other girlfriends local who are training for some big stuff too. So it's been really nice to have like a squad lately. Super nice. nice. And it's finally like changing seasons in Portland. So it's not like always raining it's only raining sometimes and it's so nice and Corinne you're going to be so stoked to get home to this new weather <laughs> I'm so excited oh amazing yeah it was uh snowing here I guess a little bit of a life update for me too it's it's been a temperamental spring Colorado always as normal but we've been having some like <laughs> freezing freezing temps which for someone who's delegated to the bike it's been infuriating uh because I'm sick of being cold um, but yeah, um, I have like basically it's been a tumultuous two months of trying to figure out what's been going on. Um, but I actually did have surgery last week on my ankle. Um, turns out falling a long ways off of a mountain does some pretty messed up things. Um, and so kind of something that we knew was there kind of all along, but, um, kind of had to do more of a, like a deeper dive, um, cause it's kind of causing, um, symptoms. And so trying to kind of get to the root of the problem and the root of the problem was kind of, uh, mobility. So basically had a surgery to try to, um, to basically shave off some bone spurs and get a, rid of a bunch of scar tissue that was in my ankle to, ho- to hopefully, um, gain back some range of motion, which it literally brought me to tears last week that I was able to, um, dorsiflex my ankle, uh, more than I have been able to in the past five years, a week after surgery. So what's the recovery like for that kind of surgery? Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, basically the doctor wants me to move it right away. Um, so I actually wasn't on crutches. I was to the first day cause I had a nerve block and I couldn't feel my leg. So <laughs> until that wears off, Um, but he actually didn't want me in a boot, wanted me weight bearing, um, range of motion, like that whole thing. And then, um, kind of after, um, I saw him less than a week after the surgery and kind of cleared me to bike and do, do that stuff. So basically let like swelling and pain be my guide, but wants me to, to move it around. So I actually meet with him again this week. And, um, he said, return to run is probably within two to three weeks from surgery. So hopefully I'll Super cool. start yeah. that soon. Um, but yeah, that's, it's just the tricky thing with your, with your feet, how, mm-hmm. you know, how it's like, there's a lot of swelling always. And, you know, it's, um, it's been a bit rough mentally, uh, seven surgeries in five years is not that fun. So, uh, here's to hoping <laughs> the last one. <laughs> yeah. yeah i gave i gave hillary a pretty dire option after the surgery so uh 
let's not even go there. It's we're not. We don't worry. Don't worry. I'm just. Uh, yeah, I, I teased her. I teased her about it. We're not going to cut off Hilly's foot. She's going to keep both her feet. I'm really happy that you're up. You're up and moving on it. And that, yeah, I was so happy when you texted me and said like that you have more range of motion now than you've had for five years. Like that is bonkers. Like so so exciting. So I mean, your body does some crazy things yeah. to compensate. And uh, I mean, obviously, I was doing pretty pretty well with that impingement, but um, then it also causes other kind of issues. So hopefully, avoiding those in the future. Yeah. Uh, I'll but do I'm on yeah. it. Don't worry. Okay. I was gonna say I can't do it. Corinne. Yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm here. We have to give a shout out to one of our main sponsors who keeps this whole thing operational. Those are the folks over at AG1. I've been traveling for 10 days. I think I've slept some and uh you know, living out of a hotel is just a different environment. And so I definitely had those travel packs of AG1 with me, just kind of as a the thing that I would add to my afternoon to make sure I was, you know, covering all my bases um, while I was on the road, which is generally kind of where I lead, lean into um, a product like AG1. And so again, if you would like to try out um, kind of like the, the super green drink all over the marketplace, you're going to go over to um, www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. And there with a free one-year supply or there when you with your first ever order, you can get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Again, it's over at athleticgreens.com slash trail society. It's been a part of my routine at home, but it's been cool to take it on the road. And I think that that is definitely something that I will continue to do as I travel later this summer. Yeah, it's going to be in my travel pack too. It's something that's so awesome. It just makes you feel so much better if you have that with you on the road. Yeah. I feel like you just, yeah, you're covering your bases and that is a good feeling, oh, but can yeah. we talk about some exciting results? Mostly yeah. the world's team from the Lake Sonoma race oh, before yeah. we talk about other racing. Can we just talk about the world's team announcement for the 80 K <laughs> team? Cause like that to me was so, so cool. Cause you got to see who got in off a resume, right? You know, all the Lake Sonoma athletes did take their tickets. Like, ah, I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. So for, for the for the guys, right? I mean, we had Drew Holman, Preston, um, Kate, 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 and Caleb Olson for the, for the guys. It was, I mean, yeah. What did you, I mean, what do you guys think about Lake Sonoma being a qualifier for, I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's obviously a really fast course, but there's, you know, lots of, lots of people out there. Um, I mean, even on this list from the guys and, and the girls who, you know, can translate that speed into like, you know, mountain, mountain speed for a course. It's like the 80 K long course in Innsbruck. I think that traditionally I'd say like Lake Sonoma is a really fast course and might not translate to Innsbruck, but I think that this year, given the trail conditions and how muddy it was, the podium result shows us a very mountain capable team. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that that would be my hesitation. You have a really fast qualifier and then worlds has 17,000 feet of climbing or something in 80 K like that's a mountain course all of a sudden. And so it's like, you got to have your hikers, you got to have your toughies on the mm-hmm. team. And so I think that the way Lake Sonoma played out this year still gave us, you know, six exceptional athletes, but also six mountain, very mountain capable athletes who will thrive in that environment. So that was very, very cool to see. Right. So we said just like the three, the three fr- men for that were basically got that got awarded for their podium finishes, but then also to round on the out, women's side too. Right. And so I was going to say to round out the men's side, we've got Jim Wamsley, Zach Miller, and Eric Lapuma who got in via resume. Um, the race is really, really cool. Both the race, yeah. the men's race and women's race was super cool. There's like lots of back and forth drew and Caleb Olson, like ran through the field to take first and um, <laughs> second there. But then you had Aaron, Aaron Clark, um, Allison Baca and Sarah Kyes were the podium at Lake Sonoma um, so cool to see Aaron Clark, like new sponsorship this year, mm-hmm. first race within the Nike kit, have a really good day. I think she didn't move into first until like somewhere well after the 50 K mark. Um, Alison Baca as a mom, like really like mm-hmm. coming back into like her, like we knew that she could do this, I think. And it's just like a matter of time for it to happen. So she ran a really great race. Sarah Kai's ran a really aggressive race and was like due to have an amazing performance. So that was really, really cool. To see, and then via application, you have Claire Gallagher, Hannah Allgood, and Shay Aquilano. And interestingly, like, I think the wild card there is Shay a little bit, in which it's like, she's an exceptionally talented young athlete, and I'm super excited for her to have this opportunity. 
but like, she's kind of like that flat ground speedster who I'm like really curious to actually see her run a mountainous course because it's not something that she has like traditionally done. She's in black Canyon and JFK and Lake Sonoma. And she ran Boston literally a week after Lake Sonoma and like well under three hours still, like she's really, really good on flat surfaces. So I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like. So but also like a very mountain capable team with a ton of heavy hitters and people who have raced in Europe already, which is another big thing with worlds mm-hmm. is that sometimes they've never, people have never raced internationally before going to that stage. And that's a big deal. It's a big difference traveling internationally for a race and like getting yeah. thrown into that kind of environment. Totally. Especially cause like, you know, the like 80 Ks like, or sorry, the, the world teams, they don't, you don't, you're not necessarily going there a whole week before, right. You're kind of dealing with budgets and stuff. So you kind of, you're not going there with too much time in advance to adjust. So yeah, yeah. unless you're doing it on your own. Lot, a lot of other countries too invest a lot more money into their teams, I think, and like mm-hmm. actually train together. And so I feel like it's always a battle as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's super cool. And then we should note that Adam Peterman, who was an auto qualifier with his win last year, is not returning to the team because he will be at Western States. So Drew not doing Western States to do worlds, Adam Peterman not doing worlds to do Western States. So I think that's kind of how it shook out in that regard. And it's, I'm really excited to see Jim on this team too. Um, I just like, I'm looking at both the men's and women's teams and I'm like, cool. These teams could like be in podium contention at worlds, which is very exciting. Yeah. USA, USA. (laughs) I I can't wait. It's going to be great. Um, and now the other race result we're going to talk about is the mute the Madeira Island Ultra Trail race that just happened. We're just going to cover the um, the results from like the 115k, right? The 115k. I'm saying like the title. There's a bunch of different races happening at the same time, which makes this event super awesome. Um, but the main the main like ultra event there is the 115k, the crossing of the island. Um, so I don't know how many of you watched it, but I was glued to the little the dots Trackers. running across. <laughs> um, and there's a strong international field. Obviously this is a race that was on, uh, you know, the world tour and now it's kind of still brings in a lot of international competition. Um, and so on the men's side, the podium, we have Lambert Stinelli in just a 1401, uh, good time. Yeah, it's pretty solid. I mean, uh, then Benoit, um, just about 15 minutes after him, 14, 13. And then Luis Fernandez, I have to give a shout out to him. He's the local Portuguese hero, 14, 23. He started out blazing fast. He was literally on like course record pace in the first like three aid stations. <laughs> Luis gave me like a personal tour of the island of the course when I was there. So he's he's awesome. And I was really glad to see him do a really good race there. Um, I think he'll be at World, World representing Portugal. Um, Super cool. Yeah. and then. The ladies. Um, so Manon Bohard, I don't have to say her last name, but she, this yeah. French woman from Hoka, um, fifteen forty eight, just under, just just under the fifteen forty nine mark. Um, she was leading all day. She had a pretty solid race. It's a really good time. Um, it looked like you guys had amazing weather out there. Um, not too cold, not too hot, and like clear. Um, Louisa Bueller, mm-hmm. uh, sixteen forty. Um, and then, uh, Lucy Jasmine was 1647. Those two had a battle. Like they, it was actually Lucy was in second place for a lot. And then Louisa kind of took her at the end. Like in the last couple miles. Yeah. I remember when I ran it, um, (laughs) Katerina, Katerina was second and she literally got past like blazing past her, this Swiss woman, I forget her name like 50 meters before the finishing shoot. And Ekaterina was like in oh. second place all day. And she just, I remember her, like, she said to me at the finishing line, like in her head, she's like, she must be running the 80 K. <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. No. <laughs> so what happens? That's brutal. And it's, yeah. it's confusing too out there because you are, you, you merge with the 60 K and then you merge with the 40 K and then the 85K starts to catch you pending on the field. Mm-hmm. So like the 85K men start to catch you on the big climatic cure-all somewhere in there generally. And then, or like across the top there. And then the women, like Kelly Wolf ran it last year and ran a great mm-hmm. race. And so she passed me um, around like probably the 85, 90K mark. 
And I was like, wow, she's running. I am like kind of sauntering down this hill and she is running. And so you don't know, like it it, it gets more confusing because you really don't know unless you can remember like seeing this person earlier, if they're in your race or not. Mm-hmm. And if their bib is on their front or their back, like you might not ever see it. And so it's like, I intentionally at one point last year, like pulled my bib around to my front because I didn't want the woman to see my bib when I ran by her because I knew she was a 115K runner and I didn't want her to know that I was. And so I like pulled my bib around so she couldn't see it instead of having it on my back. So it's like, nice. the race gets weird. Yeah. The race gets super weird. And then Manon's dad, I don't know if you saw this, Manon's dad, Patrick Bohart, um, he's like in his 60s, I think he's 60. Mm-hmm. He was in the top 10 for the men. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there was a long time where I didn't know if Patrick was her dad or her husband, which is like, I, I don't know. Like she looks really, really young. She's like our age. And he like, I don't know, like looks like a fit older guy. But mm-hmm. I had no idea that like that was her dad. I was That's like, amazing. I don't know, a relative. But yeah, so they were both like they both raced. He he ended up finishing ninth, I think, in the men's field. Like just what a what a badass family. Wow, that is pretty good. Yeah. So we pretty we we did a pretty good condition. So I think the last shout out we have to give. Um, we were like watching Boston from Madeira. Um, all of us cheering on because you know, there's four of us with Adidas Tarek. We're cheering on our teammate Danny Moreno, um, subhub co-host. And uh, she was going for an Olympic qualifying, Olympic trials qualifying time. And she was on pace for so long. And then like. She was 34 a, pace. Like, yeah, man. She had a fueling mishap. And uh, she said that it's kind of wild that like, once you realize that that goal like has slipped through your fingers, like the, the, the how quickly the energy leaves your body. She was like, I was just empty all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, she oh, finished nice. in like just under 239, 238 and change. Um, which is like, I mean, she was what, like probably like 90 seconds off of the Olympic trials time. So on a hard course, huge, so. huge props, marathon debut too, like Amazing. just br- brutal. <laughs> Go Danny. We love you. Woo-hoo. Check out the Subhub podcast. Like, let's talk, let's talk some news. Keely, I know that you sent this to me. I was kind of secretly in the know about this policy for a long time. Um, but it finally got announced this week. Let's see. It's a new UTMB policy. I was tangential. I was not part of the, like the women's group that worked on this, which was, um, led by, uh, Caitlin Gerben and Esther Sislig. I don't know how you say her last name, Hungarian athlete, but lives in Hong Kong. Um, she had a great UTMB last year. She's a mom. Um, they've been working with Sophie powers and UTMB. Um, Sophie, again, it runs, um, she runs, she races. Oh my goodness. I should know this. I just read an article about it, um, that we're going to publish on the free trail website in like a week. Um, but they, they essentially, they were trying to be more inclusive initially it started as like for mothers in particular, it was about, it was about pregnancy it was about a pregnancy deferral. It was about kind of making that a big deal, but it's, it grew into much more than that to represent the community in which it's really a parent focused policy. So, um, it just got announced on April 20th. Um, and that is going to look like essentially people who are eligible for the policy are going to be athletes that are pregnant, um, partners with, with pregnant, uh, or yeah, partners of pregnant people. Um, so that like that opens it up to our male athletes as well. Um, or an athlete or an athlete who's not carrying the child in the relationship. And then athletes who are um, adopting or doing surrogacy. So basically if you're going to become a parent, um, recognizing that those are all um, time intensive, physically intensive, um, financially intensive times in people's lives. Um, so I think it's really cool that the, the group like work on it actually expanded it beyond mothers um, to be more community inclusive. And then Karen, do you know if this is like the first company to do this kind of a policy? Uh, this broadly, but Western states has had a pregnancy policy in place for years now. Do they include partners of pregnant people? No. So that's like, that's That's the big difference here is that this is more, this is more expansive. Most of the, most of the other things are very like, like mother oriented, um, female oriented versus this is much more inclusive of like different relationships, different uh, ways to become a parent or to be a parent, which I think is really important because that like represents our whole, our whole community, but essentially they, they are like approaching it a couple different ways. So lottery races versus non-lottery races. And this goes beyond just like the UTMB finale. This is like the UTMB series. So races that require a lottery, things like Lavaredo, Iger, 
the UTMB finale, those races are all lottery based. And so for lottery races, they'll provide a full refund and then give them priority entry, which is valid for five years. Um, and then up to two years, uh, for 20, so up to five years for 50 K hundred K and hundred mile races and up to two years for 20 K races, um, for women who are pregnant. And then they do two years for partners and for surrogacy and adoption. So basically given, giving women who are having to carry a child to term, um, giving them a little bit more time to come back from pregnancy. Um, just recognizing that that takes a toll on the body and then two years for partners and, and adopting parents and, um, becoming parents via surrogacy, I'll get two years. And then non-lottery races kind of go to that two-year mark as well, where they'll provide a full refund and or a deferred entry valid for up to two years for women who are pregnant, partners and parents adopting or birthing via surrogacy. So that means that you're not like out $500 and out, you know, like having to re like having to like requalify really, really efficiently. Type of thing. Um, the other piece of that, though, is that for events that require a valid UTMB index, they are saying right now that athletes must ensure that their index is valid at the time they choose to participate in the race, which is like, which is like the Western states policy that I think is getting a little bit of flack too, in which it's like to be eligible for a sponsor spot or for a lottery spot, you have to have run a qualifier within the designated time window. Um, which is like somewhat inflexible for women if they're trying to not, I don't want to say rush back into an addition because it's everyone's timeline is different. What I might find is rushing is someone's totally normal timeline, but that having to have the UTMB index or this qualifier, um, means that you like have to be ready to be in that place there. And I think this part is the only part that's a little bit contentious in my mind, other sports, um, other professional organizations will oftentimes freeze a, um, freeze like a, a mother's score their ranking their index um for an x amount of time so that it's not going to go up or down and allows them when they come back to the sport to enter with that same ranking status which means that you know all of a sudden they can get into the elite field etc maybe get a free entry bypass the lottery etc and i think that that probably this piece of the uh, announcement probably impacts like elites and pros more than anyone else. And so in my mind, it's like, well, that is still an issue to be addressed. And it's going to continue in a conversation with UTMB. It doesn't impact the entire field quite like the other important pieces of this announcement, which are, which are valid to like, you know, there's a small elite field and there's a huge number of participants. And so I'm, I'm happy that so many people are going to benefit from this. And hopefully we can continue to finesse some of this like UTMB index score for athletes who might be taking a break due to, due to becoming a parent, um, or from being pregnant. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm really excited about this policy. Mm -hmm. Kudos to your team. Yeah. Yeah. You guys did some social. good work. Yeah. yeah. So I can take basically zero credit for it, but that's like <laughs> having to like, but like watching meetings after the fact. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, the women's working group and the DEI group did a lot of work on this with UTMB. Um, and UTMB is like, being reasonable. They're coming to the table. They're having conversations with us. And hopefully what we do with UTMB, will be able to kind of trickle into other race orgs, golden trail series, sky running world series, um, et cetera, because it's like, it'll kind of normalize things across a, a wider spectrum of races. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Go us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have to give another shout out. Yeah. And that's to the feed. <gasps> Keely on cue water bottle. Yeah. If you're listening to this because it's an audio podcast, you can't see the you water bottle. On it. Oh, I love it's also it. Very you dirty because it's been on my bike, but that's okay. I love the customization. <laughs> I love that you can customize. So, if you're like, what are they talking about right now? These women sound crazy. We're not crazy, but um, we're talking about the feed. I think it's one of our. You know, I mean, I think we love all of our sponsors, but it's been really fun to work with the feed. It's been fun to like practice different nutrition. Hillary's you got a very blurry, the feed bottle due to her background. Oh, it was there for a second. Um, but it's great. It's kind of your one-stop shop for nutrition needs, for supplements, for recovery tools, for everything that you could possibly want. And if you would like to try out the feed to kind of update your pantry with some new sports nutrition that you should be practicing with, take my advice that I don't listen to. You should be practicing your nutrition 
regularly for races. We'll talk about this in like a couple minutes. Um, but what you're going to do is you're going to go to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And there you're going to get a cool code. You're going to put in some information and essentially you get a $15 credit every quarter. And with that order, you can get a very cool trail society water bottle, um, which you can customize and put your name on the side of, which is really, really cool. Um, so go over to the feed, check it out. Let us know what you get. I'm still hyping the waffles. I'm all about the waffle game. And I hear, and I see all of you in my DMS telling me how good waffles are that you finally gave them a shot. So go team, <laughs> go the feed. Thanks y'all. Yeah. Waffles have definitely taken over. Oh, I know. I'm waiting for my next shipment as, as we speak. <laughs> Can't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> well, this is a perfect segue then because we're going to talk about literally how you used all of these snacks that you've been getting from the feed during your race. Um, and you know, all the good things in between that, but yeah, the meat and potatoes, this is what we've been waiting for Corinne to talk to you about your mute 115 K race. And before we get into it and talk about the race itself, um, it was fun to kind of watch. Cause obviously you had a, you had a lot of th- moving parts. I mean, as all of us do, but a lot of moving parts, like a move, uh, maybe arguably you had better training access to prepare for a race like this, but yeah, I know this is your second time doing this race and it's a gnarly race. Um, but before we kind of, I was like texting you and asking you how you were feeling and you said that you felt more prepared this time. Um, and that was really cool to hear, right? I know that was a really big race after you came back from all of you know, your injuries, but can you, can you walk us through how you prepared and differently and why why you felt more prepared yeah and it's interesting because hindsight is 2020 always but <laughs> I, I don't think i went into it like severely underprepared by any means and it's like i was talking to um louisa before the race and she's like you did this last year right and i was like yeah and she goes and you came back and i said yeah i'm not so like <laughs> that might have been a bad decision it's like at the press conference on friday or thursday um yeah so i i Last year when I did this race, I came off my honeymoon, which was a ski trip. And we traveled like to Istanbul and then traveled to the Caucasus in Georgia and came off a ski trip. I think I like hadn't run in three weeks when I got to Madeira, basically. Um, Cause I was like in Seattle looking for housing before that. Cause we had found out Stephen had matched into residency, blah, blah, blah. The spring was chaos. Turns out April's just chaos for me in general. I don't know why I thought this year would be any different. I think I was gone every weekend for like four or five weekends before I flew, like just not some things that were not ideal. But I will say last year when I was at this race, I was coming off of skis and I felt really strong climbing, but I like cried on a downhill early in the race last year because I was like, I can't run this. Mm -hmm. Like there are steps and it's wet and there's logs and it's awkward. And I just like felt like Bambi on ice trying to run the downhills last year. And I was like, as soon as I moved to Seattle and I'm like running in Issaquah and I'm like running that tiger and I'm going up and down section line and cable line and all these gnarly trails that are just like kind of steep and weird. I like ran down one of those trails once and I was like, Oh my goodness, like this is Madeira. I just have to do this a couple of times and I'll be so much better off than last year. So I think, I think that was better than last year. I think, I think my body is much, much healthier than where I was last year. Like last year I physically was I was working at my body's current limit as far as like capacity for training versus this year. I think I, I have more capacity and didn't utilize all of it. Like maybe to a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a whoopsie there, but I think I, I used the time I had, um, even if I could have physically maybe done a little bit more, like I hadn't, when I went to this race last year, I hadn't been able to do a running workout in like 18 months. And like, I'm able to do running workouts now. I don't have adductor issues like I was dealing with last year, like my pelvis is a okay, which is like so rewarding after like many ups and downs with it. So I mm-hmm. think that there were a lot of things that I was much better prepared for. And there were some things where I was like, eh, I like could have done some nutrition things differently. And I could have, um, could have like done some time management things ahead of the race, as far as like preparation goes over the winter. Um, we had a cold, wet winter. And I was like, do I want to run for three hours or do I want to run for four hours? And I was like, I'm going to run for three hours. Four <laughs> hours sounds cold and gross by myself. So I think it's like, um, not underprepared, but I think that, um, 
I would change a few things if I'm not doing Madeira again next year. I'm not, I'm saying that right now. I'm not doing Madeira again next year, but I think I would, I would tweak some things before a long mountainous spring race, be it anything akin to Madeira, which is like extreme. So I think I would change some things, but I do feel like mentally and physically in a, was in a better spot than I was in August when I went to do TDS was in a better spot than when I showed up in Madeira last year, but like le- was left, I'm left hungry. I'm not left. I'm not left disappointed. We can talk about why I might be disappointed in a second, but I'm not left disappointed by what happened out there. I'm like left really hungry and really excited because overwhelmingly things went really well. I'm like the happiest DNF athlete you've ever met. Aww. Well, hey, I mean, I guess it's a spoiler alert, but if you were watching the live stream and and Corinne, you should have already known um, what happened for your race. So I know it's like, you're, I want to talk about your day. Um, and maybe y'all don't know the course like we do, but I know, I know like where you dropped like these climbs that can just like eat you alive. Oh my goodness. But um, you, you probably didn't, you didn't have the day that you expected out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us how, your race played out. And I know that this is a long question. So yeah, take it as you will. <laughs> yeah, no. So, um, like my, it was interesting because initially when I knew I was doing Madeira, I was supposed to have three other female teammates doing Madeira, Abby Hall, Ruth Croft and Ingvild Kasperson. And that scared the ever loving shit out of me. Because I was like, cool, not only do I have to race a bunch of other badass European women, but I've got to race three of my teammates. Like, come on, I can't catch a break. They're all <laughs> so talented. Um, and then it turned out that it was just going to be Abby and I um, and felt good going in, um, knowing that Abby was going in with like probably, you know, going in for the win, going in for a, like a very, like a, you know, kind of like firm time goal mm-hmm. in mind. And I was very much being like, I want to run faster than last year. That was my goal. My goal was to run faster than last year. And I thought that was very reasonable with fitness and with like knowing the course a little bit and with being able to run downhill this year until I couldn't, which is not a spoiler because we're gonna talk about it here in a second. Um, <laughs> but I did. I I like I set out to do those things and actually was was doing them. Like I was coming into aid stations ahead of all my times from last year. I was like slowly, you know, taking five to 15 minutes off like crew section to crew section which was going to set me up ideally for like, I ran 18 and a half hours in 2022. And my goal this year was to run like 17 to 1730, um, which I thought was like reasonable and practical and was setting up to do that. But this race starts at midnight, which is horrible. It's awful. Midnight starts. Keely, you've done Lavarado. That's a midnight start, right? 11 PM. 11 PM. It's very close to midnight. I think it's 11 or 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sucks. It's awful. Like the midnight start is like, it's wild. It's great. Cause you sleep really well. And like that night, like once you finish, but it's like, I did, I slept horrible the night, yeah. like the second night, but then the first night was good, but it's, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was like taking time off on these sections. Um, our brand new team manager was crewing me. She's like never crewed an ultra before. That was like a whole, like kind of exciting, but like, I knew I was the only person there probably that could be like, okay, yeah, you can crew me. Like, we're going to get like, you're going to be fine. Like, I trust you. You're going to be fine. But, um, for Petter or for Abby or for Hugo, that probably wouldn't have been as, as good of an option. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a little bit lower, lower key in that sense, I think, but yeah, it was moving, was moving actually pretty well. As far as all, all things considered go, we had much better visibility this year than last year. So it wasn't like running by braille in the fields up high. And like, we called them the scary trees. Cause you're just like in the fog and these trees and it's all kind of creepy. Um, (laughs) but we, um, like things were moving really well through even, I guess like through the first crew aid station, which is like 33 K into the race, like felt really good. Was eating, was drinking, climbing felt a little bit harder than I wanted it to be. Like my legs just kind of felt disconnected and flat and like our whole team felt that way, which is really interesting. So we don't know if we're like fighting something off. Like we just all felt a little bit disconnected. Um, but I was like, you know what? Like, it's fine. I ended up running those climbs faster than last year. So despite them not maybe feeling as like good. And I left that first aid station and that next descent is like pretty weird and rocky and then it's flat. And then there's like a bunch of mountain bike trails that you descend. Um, and I kept like twisting my foot, like kind of like everting my foot, kind of stretching mm-hmm. those tendons across like the top of my foot from like those first and second metatarsals into my ankle, kind of into that like 
kind of uh, lateral side of the front of my like let into the front of my leg and did that over and over and over and over again, basically all the way to Incomiata, which is like the 50-ish K mark where we see our crew for the second time. And um, I was like, it's okay. Like, I'm fine. Like, everything's good. Like, the sun's going to come up. I'm going to be like in a great spot. Um, so my crew changed into like a short sleeve shirt because I was like, the sun's coming up. It's a new day. We'll see what happens. Um, but at that point, like, could feel my foot when we were descending anything that wasn't like a stair. So when I had to put my foot at like an angle, um, it didn't feel great. And I knew that, that we were going to run on more and more of that terrain as the race went on. So like technical descending, that was like kind of choppy um, and stair-steppy. I was like cruising on. And then anything else, I was like, like a road, like a downhill road was like horrible. And so mm-hmm. I get through in Kamiata, I take off, I ran through like that next section is like so, so beautiful before you descend to Kural. Um, you're up high, like the sun's like the sun is like coming up. It's it's absolutely like breathtaking. Like I, I ran all the best parts of the course. So I'm very happy with that. <laughs> but um, like I knew that section was gonna be hard and I knew I had struggled there a little bit last year. Um, and actually got into Cure All, like I wanna say it was a little bit longer. We had like a course reroute due to construction. So we had kind of a weird reroute section that I think added some time, but maybe only like five-ish minutes or so. Um so it still came into Kural like 15 to 20 minutes ahead of last time I did this. Um, but it was starting to get warm, that downhill descent, like the big downhill into the valley hurt pretty badly, but didn't think too much of it. Like came in, reset, got out of there. And then like you climb out of Kural and it's like, I don't know, something like 6,000 feet or something. It's so silly. Yeah, it's 2,000 meters in 10K. It, it is a brutal climb. Like, yeah that deep into the race but yeah, it's I think like the longest climb and then even after that it's just like lots of climbing stairs wetness tourists oh yeah like you're on ladders and stuff and like yeah. you're going to what is it Che de Lagoa that's probably not how you say it but oh, like the Pico like, Rubio like that like oh like past Pico Rubio oh, so like yeah. the next aid station yeah so essentially it's like you go up this massive climb everyone implodes on it I think even if you're feeling good you feel bad like even if you're moving well it's awful and it's hot mm-hmm. and it's equatorial sun and it's like I've been running in long sleeves and tights for like months now so I'm like I don't know what the heat is my skin hasn't seen the hasn't seen sunlight in like months I'm like so pale and pasty and like getting sunburned and just like having an absolute vision quest at this point, like I'm kind of nauseated, like nutrition, this is where nutrition I think fell off for me. So like kind of in mm-hmm. that like 65 to 80 K zone, like the wheels just really, really came off. And we had all these kind of steep choppy downhills into that aid station with my foot just getting worse and worse and worse. And so while I was still moving, okay. Like, I think I got to that next crew checkpoint at the same time or faster, like 15 minutes or 20 minutes faster than last year. So it's like, I'm still moving fine, but this foot thing, like I can't, put, I can't put my poles away. Like I'm using my poles to go downhill hmm. because like I'm bracing this foot and I'm like, this is not, I don't want this anymore. Like this is, I'm on the prettiest part of the course and I literally don't care. <laughs> I'm like, this is like beautiful. There are so many people out here hiking. Cause it's like such a cool part of the Island. And I was like, I don't care. Hmm. Like I can't take any of it in. My eyes are empty like zombie human, um, just being like, I don't want to, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you're kind of desperate up there no matter what. And while I think emotions can get the best of you there, I think what really started to creep in was this like fear that I was going to do more damage to my foot and didn't have a way to evaluate that at that Mm -hmm. checkpoint. And like maybe with a PT or a friend who's, you know, a friend who's PT adjacent, Etc. to do like a, Hey, like this is what's going on. Um, we're going to tape your foot. You're good to go. Um, I didn't have that. I had to make my own decision there, which is fine. That's like what normal people have to do. And I, uh, was like, it's not, there's 19 miles of mostly downhill between here and the finish. Like there's some climbing, but there's a lot of downhill running between there and the finish. And I just couldn't imagine like every other step hurting for the next 19 miles. So I said, no, thank you. And I had a very nice man who didn't speak any English, cut the little DNF square off my bib. Oh, and I mean, noted too, it's like that Madeira is a course. It's like you reach 
you reach the 80K point or the yeah. 90K point and you've done all of the climbing. So the last marathon is all downhill with some like little blips, yeah. you know, of, of climbing that are still really painful. Yeah. It's like one last climb out of Porta de Cruz. That's awful. And then right. it's like Levada running like flat, right. like irrigation path running for 15 kilometers to the and finish then line. Steep stairs, which make you want to cry again. And then Levada running. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go so- to Madeira. It's beautiful and super fun, but it is, it's an absolutely brutal course. I mean, I, so I only, I made it to the 51 mile mark that's where I dropped out and I still climbed over 22,000 feet. Yeah. That's the majority of the climbing. So it's like, I got, I got what I needed out of it. And I want to like, that's kind of how I was like, Oh, like I'm the happiest DNF person you've ever met because it's like what my goal was to run a little bit. My goal was to run faster than last year. Mm -hmm. And the only reason to finish where I dropped out was to like protect my ego and like protect, you know, that, like that mental piece of the Mm -hmm. puzzle of like the, Mm -hmm. I can do it thing, but I didn't need to prove to myself that I could do it. And I have other races on the horizon, like other start lines that I really want to get to. Mm -hmm. And the idea of like messing up my foot and like being in a boot or on crutches or out for the season or out for a month or what, whatever it was like that to me, wasn't, wasn't the, wasn't worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I used to be, I used to be a super toughie and I'm now I'm only a medium toughie. No, no, but you're a I, smart toughie. But yeah. I think it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it's, one, tough. it's one of those things though, too, where I like, I legit, like the next day, I, a lot of people grapple with like, the, did I make the right call decision? Right. Like the next day you're like, did I, mm-hmm. did, should I have dropped out? Should I not have dropped out? And I was like, totally like knowing that I was completely at peace with it, I think is a pretty good indicator that it's a, it was like a hundred percent the right call for the day. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about this, we've talked about this theme, you know, extensively, all of us have, you know, unfortunately, fortunately had to make this call. Right. And I think it's exactly what Keely said. It's not that, you know, you're, you're smart, you're wise to do it. It doesn't make you more or less tough. Um, But I think it's really important for us to talk about it, whether or not there's a stigma or not, you know, to talk about, to talk about a DNF and, and you already touched on it a little bit, but I'm wondering, like, because it is hard to separate that in real time when you're dealing with like the emotional stresses, obviously of like kind of in a bonk and like not feeling good. Like, how do you, what are some things that you, you go through like mentally to kind of decide if it's actually like a, like a good decision and not within an emotional one. Um, Cause this is something that I've had to do as well. Like, you know, strategies you can kind of um, tell yourself. And I, I have like a, you know, a hard stop one, like, am I doing is there a potential to do physical, like physical damage? And that's like an absolute, like, yeah, pull the plug. Right. But it can be, there's like a fine line. So I'm wondering if you have any, yeah. How did you come to this conclusion? Are they like steps? Yeah. You have to ask yourself, like, is the pain I'm feeling like normal? Is it just normal ultra running pain? Cause you've been running for a long time mm-hmm. and you haven't slept and uh, everything feels bad. Or is it, is it, is it pain, pain? And I think that that's going to be different for everyone. And having been a person who's had a major like catastrophic injury in the sport, I think I'm probably a little bit more sensitive to that than other people. I think we're all, I think the three of us are all probably pretty sensitive to it given like our own personal injury histories of being like a hard stop on like, there's a question that this is going to cause that I'm causing damage, you know, to structurally beyond like having doms on Monday like I'll take, I'll take some delayed onset muscle soreness, like hand me doms. I'm fine with that. But it's the like, okay, like this is a tendinopathy or this is, this is a bone, a, like a bone contusion, a bone inflammation, a stress reaction in the making. Like that was my, my worry was that I was going to like have a metatarsal injury in the making. And like knowing that I want to be on a start line running a hundred miler in July. And so I think that there are like those hard stops, the injury piece. And then I think it's also like, where are you in your season? What are the goals? Is this a practice race? Is this your A race? Is this, is, do you need a qualifier? Is the goal, is the goal to finish? And those, like, those are the things that I think allow us to make the decisions on the hard days, as far as like when the A goals go away, like this time or this place, like what is the other reason to finish? Is it experiential, et cetera? 
And so I think that my hard stop is like the, is like, I'm doing like bodily harm, like, mm-hmm. um, either via illness or big bio- biomechanical stressor that's beyond the scope of normal ultra stressors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a big hard stop for me. And then I think outside of that, it becomes that, like, it's not even, I want to say sliding scale. It's not a sliding scale. It becomes the like negotiation of like, what is the goal? What mm-hmm. is the rationale? And like, what is up? Like, you know, if this is a race in November where I'm not racing again for a while, like I might've gone, I might've run to the next aid station type of thing. Like if this was a November race and I wasn't planning to race again for months and months and months, like I might've run one more aid station just to mm-hmm. be like, Hey, I'll see my crew in Porto de, like in uh, Porto de Cruz and like see there if like, this is an issue or I might like try to get to the next aid station and like call my crew if I needed to type of thing. Like I'm a big fan of the, like, if you're feeling low, get to the next aid station and make that decision type of thing, or like kind of keep going to the next aid station to make the decision. If it's beyond, if it's outside of that bodily harm scope, if it's just like the discomfort, the things are feeling bad, I'm not having fun scope. Oftentimes I'll try to milk an aid station or two out of it or a crew stop or two out of it. Um, but it is, you know, I think it's different for every single race, different due to timing. It's different due to goals and ambitions for that event. But yeah, I think it's, um, it's a lot of calculus and it's a lot of like talking yourself off a ledge. And then sometimes you're making that decision solo. And sometimes you're making that decision with a crew person or a significant other or a teammate or team manager. Um, and they will have opinions and it's kind of hard to make sure that you're making the right choice for you versus the right, cho- what they think the right choice is. Um, because I've had it go both ways, right. The like you should drop and they don't want you to. And the like, I, I've seen it with athletes too, where it's like, they're like, Hey, no, I think you should end. Like, I think this is, I think we're done for the day type of thing. Um, and then the athletes got to grapple with that on the back, the backside of like, was it the right choice or not? And so really right. knowing that you're making the right choice for you is really important, but it's hard in the moment. Cause you're like sitting there and you feel like you're wasting time. Um, and then you've been there for 30 minutes and you're like, why am I still here? I've just burned 30 minutes and I still haven't made this decision. Um, so it's like, it's hard and it's, and it's emotional, but I think you can add some like practical things and like the rational, you got to keep your rational brain intact, even if you haven't slept for 24 hours. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, which is hard, but I think that's, I mean, right. It's important to obviously have these conversations with your crew, but then, and also like have that, that, that clear line of, okay, this is, this is something that I will not go past, but I mean, you touched on it briefly. I think my my main follow-up question too, and I, I mean, I got to talk to you yesterday. So, um, <laughs> uh, and you were, see, you know, you were very, you know, optimistic and happy and you seem to be doing quite well. In fact, you made that comment, you know, and even just like reading, you know, your, po- your posts afterwards, right? Um, like, cause sometimes, you know, like after you do it, you're like, oh crap, like I should have done this. Like, why did I quit? Like you wish that you would have kept going or, oh, yeah. you know, you're confident, like, in the decision that you made. So like, what are some strategies you cope with this, you know, like big, ugly DNF, whatever. I think, I think it's actually how you frame it, right? Like if you own your decision, you're like, this is this decision I made, like, mm-hmm. you know, choosing to be comfortable with it, even if you, you know, just decide to slog it out. Cause sometimes that can feel just as painful or. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And, ha- and have a day that's like less than desirable, right? You slog it out and you just have a hard day. That's, that's not any easier. I think and I'll be completely honest. Like I went to the award ceremony with Abby, um, cause they were the top 10 and, and went there to support her. And, you know, part of me was like, you know, I saw the women that were up there and like, I ran with a lot of them. Like I was running, you know, with or ahead that, of, of many of them when I dropped and I was just like, Oh man, like, I guess I could have shuffled it in mm-hmm. for a top 10. Like I would have gotten upset. I would have gotten flowers. Like that would have been cool. And then I was like, but is that, is that the point? Like, is that worth it? Um, like that's probably not the, like, that wasn't my end goal. Right. So I think that, um, it's easy to worry about others' expectations for your decision. Like people are going to think less of me. They're going to judge me for DNFing. I think that's why a lot of people beat themselves up. It's actually not how you feel about the DNF. You let what you think other people feel about your DNF influence how you feel about it, which sounds probably really redundant, but I think that's like what, why a lot of people struggle. It's not so much how you actually feel about it. You're letting other people 
tell you how to feel about it or you or you think that's how they feel about you. And so you're going to place that judgment on yourself. So I think that, you know, it's kind of, there's that, whatever that dorky saying is, that's like, you know, it's not, it's not about, you know, what is it? It's like the, it's about adversity or having a bad, bad time or something in which it's like, it's not about adversity. It's about like how, how, like, it's about how you show up to the Mm. adversity. It's about like Mm. what choice you make and how you're going to like feel about your decision. Like you get to choose how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. And I've chosen to feel like very good about it. And so that like, that is the take home there, I think, versus, you know, I could, I could beat myself up about it. And that just like, isn't worth my time. I love that. Yeah, so I mean, you still ran over 50 miles and yeah. got to race in like your first international race for a while. And mm-hmm. so how, like, what are some of the mini wins you took away from the day? Like, how was your fueling strategy? Did you find things you need to work on again? How was your racing mindset? Like, did it feel good to be back out there racing or was it kind of nerve wracking? And then like, how's your recovery going? Yeah. The mini wins are cool. Cause like there were like, I overwhelmingly like ran a lot of really good miles. And that was like really exciting to see. And so I think you have to take away all those positives, right? All those little things that make you really, really happy with um, what you accomplished out there. So I'm like, yes, check, 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 check. Nutrition, I kind of alluded to this early. I feel like I kind of botched my nutrition. Not so much that I didn't eat because I did. I actually got pretty good calories in, but I was super hesitant about every single calorie I took in. Not from the like not wanting to eat calories standpoint, but from the like, I had, I hadn't practiced with cat, like with food well on runs. And I had brought things that I wasn't going to eat during the race on a lot of runs. I didn't do a lot of runs over three hours. Um, so I kind of like fell into bad habits there too, as far as like what I was doing for fueling practice. Um, I didn't run many runs over 18 miles type of thing. Um, and so I think that that was a, a whoopsie that could definitely be preventable. Um, cause I ate, I actually ate out there, which was probably a saving grace. Um, I ate mochi from Costco. I ate goo gels. I ate awesome sauce. I ate, I like, I drank Roctane. I drank scratch. I had like a whole spectrum of things that I was ingesting out there. Um, but I like would have to be like, no, you have to do this. And it would like, I'd like be like a little bit nauseated going into it type of thing. And I'd have to pause for a second to like get the calories in. And that could have been a lot smoother. And I think mentally I burnt a lot of energy out on the course, like kind of dicking around with my nutrition, just like, like, uh, wagering with myself, like just go five more minutes and then you'll like, you'll stop at that next switch back and you'll like eat a gel there and then you can keep going type of thing. And you should, you should just be able to like do it and like not have to wager with yourself every 30 minutes about what you're going to ingest. Um, so that was kind of like a, a whoopsie that I'm excited to like adjust and correct for. Um, and then the other like mini wins that I think like my body feels pretty good. Like no, no pelvis pain, no adductor pain, no hamstring pain, um, no low back pain. Like I ran down a flight of stairs in the airport. Cause I was really excited to catch my bus to come to the hotel, to go to bed. Um, so it's like, that feels really good. And like, I'm going to see, my PT when I get home and kind of just like check out the foot, make sure everything's feeling good there. Our PT that travels with us checked out my foot and things are just really jammed up, but like nothing like stood out majorly. So we're just going to rest it and do uh, kind of give it, give it a hot sec while we do work at canyons this upcoming weekend. Um, not running, not recovering in that sense, but yeah, like really good mini wins on the day mediocre nutrition. I'm giving myself a B minus on nutrition. Um, and then feel like I'm recovering well, but it made, it made me so excited to like do better to like, you know, like get my gym stuff put together better to, um, practice that longer, long run nutrition more frequently, even, you know, on my shorter runs on the long runs that I will have layered into this next build. Um, those things were like really, really important. It wasn't like a, Oh darn. Or like a, I'm going to avoid this. It was like a, Oh my goodness. Like I'm excited to implement these things because I want, like, I don't want to feel this way or I want to feel more of that in the next race, which will be cool. More start lines. That's what I want. I want more start lines. I will say though, I was standing in the starting shoot. This is hilarious. I hated it. 
I hated standing in that starting pen. We were there for like 15 minutes and they're playing like crazy music and it's like really intense. And I was like, I can't wait for us to be 30K into the race and where everyone is just like way calmer and like, you're still racing. Like you're still kind of in battle, you know, but it's not, the energy is like, we're all like, we're all suffering type of thing versus like, I'm going to out hike you on this uphill in the first kilometer of the race. Like I hated being in that starting shoot and like, I didn't like it. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't like this right now. And I was like, I hope I like it when the gun goes off. And like, as we rolled into it, I felt better and better and better, but Oh my goodness. Like I had a moment in this, like in the starting shoot with, you know, a thousand runners where I was like, Nope, Nope. Don't like this. Don't like this one bit. So that was, that was interesting. Just like being back in that environment. And I think that just speaks to the fact that like, I haven't gotten to race a whole lot in the last three years. Yeah. Practice. I'm going to do a local race, I think in June to prep for my next one type of thing. Nice. Yeah. And the European start lines are so intimidating. Yeah, Mm. they are. You're like, well, if I trip, I'm going to get trampled to death. So I better be like, okay, sprinting out the gate as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I will say one thing that I noticed and Abby noticed this too, we were talking about it today was that everyone is really nice. Like I, we like turn onto our first Levada and there's like a crack, like seven feet into this Levada and I stepped on it and my heel got stuck and it pulled my shoe off. And like a dude, the dude who's running next to me stopped and was like, are you good? And I'm like, I'm good. I said the time my shoe, like I'll see you in a bit. I like was messing with my pole. I like couldn't get it to unclip at one point. And I kind of just like, I like swore to myself in the woods. Like I stopped and swore as I was like trying to get it unclipped. And the guy that was running right in front of me was like, are you good? I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm good. I'm just like having a technical issue. Um, and it felt like there was a lot of that out there. Like I was in this train of guys going down this technical descent and like one of the guys behind me slipped and fell. And like, we were all like, you're good. You're good. Okay. And like, it was just, I think an Abby experienced that too, like being caught by women later in the race, but also like interacting with like men and women throughout the race. I thought that was really for feeling so intense, it feels like you're all going into battle together versus into like into battle against one another. And it was just like, that was a good reminder that like these people are out there with you, not like against you. Um, and it was just cool to be like, like to have a lot of instances out there where like people like, we're like, you're, you're okay. And I'm like, I'm good. Like, I'm just, I'm just stopping on the switchback to eat a gel. I'm going to be fine. I'll see you. Uh, maybe I'll see you in a couple minutes. Next time your goal should be to not have to stop to eat a gel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a big time goal. I'm going to be well, running and eating at the same time. <laughs> to be fair, like at Western States, that would always start to happen to me, like after like the 85 mile mark or something. And that shouldn't be happening to me at like kilometer 50 type of thing. You're allowed to have to stop to eat a gel at mile 92 Western States, but yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be so nauseous at kilometer 60 of a race that you have to physically come to a halt in order to eat food. <laughs> so yeah. Add it to my goal list, guys. We're going to do it. This is good. Yeah. Well, actually, this is, I mean, Corinne, um, you talked about it a little bit, but I guess it's like your next, your next plans. I guess that's like the, that's, yeah. the, that's the only other question I have for you. Like what? Cool. You mentioned a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I don't think I'm maimed. I think I I dropped out before I could physically do too much bodily harm. Um, so I do have goals on the horizon. Um, the next, the next like big goal is getting to the Cascade Crest start line in my backyard in July. So running a hundred mile in my backyard with the real focus of like prep, using it as a prep race for UTMB for 2024, like really go in with like a, a, like a hard and fast goal and like approach it with like a ton of intentionality, which is not my racing style. I'm like a calm, cool, collected, we'll see what happens racer. And I, can't always do that at huge races. So I'm going to use Cascade Crest as a way to like practice a, I'm calling it aggressive racing style. It's, I don't think it's actually like aggressive to other humans. It's mostly just like a, um, a more strategic intentional racing style is the goal for Cascade Crest. Um, and then I'll do a UTMB qualifier in September in Europe. So yeah, I've got some big, some big cool race goals on the horizon, but maybe some local, some low key local start lines, just cause I'm like very rusty at racing as well. Love it. It'll Come into nice a local have, race near you. It'll be nice to have Cascade Crest as your hundred for the summer too. So you can like take your car and all your stuff and like 
Mm -hmm. It's just so not stressful to be local. I think I can sleep in my bed the night before the race. That's so nice. That's money. That is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Getting crazy team. Should we society slam? Yeah. And we have a new sponsor, which Corinne, you can talk about. Because <laughs> you have personal experience. I mean, Keely, obviously you do too. But <laughs> I'm just thinking fresh off the racing overnight. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Darkness. I haven't run in the dark in a while and sure, sure did. Ran in the dark for a long time on a Saturday. Um, this gives you a yeah. hint to what our sponsor is. Yeah. You guys have heard Petzl. Petzl is our Society Slam sponsor, shining a light on the community. That is a tagline that I did not get approval to use, and I'm so excited about it. But um, we love getting to work with Petzl. They sent us the new um, Petzl Now RL, um, which is insane. There are actually a lot of them on the start line. That was their recommended headlamp for the 115K. It's kind of a upgraded version of the old Petzl Now, which I've frequently started to use as like a waste light when it's really foggy or, or rainy out. Um, so it's got a, a blinky light in back, et cetera. It's super, super bright. I actually, I didn't have a spare battery for it. And so I didn't want to like risk it on a brand new race. Um, so I used a, the Ico core, um, which is another really great Petzl headlamp for the race, but we love headlamps. Mm-hmm. If you're racing a long hundred, you're like some of my athletes who have like Cocodona coming up, like lights are so, so, so important. And I've been really, really impressed with the, with the, yeah, with everything Petzl has sent our way. I feel like when all of a sudden without being sponsored previous to now, all of my headlamps are Petzl's. I carried a Petzl now I carried a Petzl Ico core and I carried a Petzl Bindi on me during the race. I carried three different Petzl headlamps. Um, so what we say to that is that you should go out to your local retailer and pick up a Petzl headlamp today so that your trails will also be illuminated with all the, all the lumens. Actually, funny story. At one point during the race, I defined a new term and I called it lumen hunger. And it's where you wanted more lumens. And it's because like you'd gotten used to someone running behind you. So the trail was a little bit brighter or running right next to someone, the trail was brighter and then they'd go away and the trail would be dimmer. And you'd like have this like kind of panicky hunger for more lumen. And so if you run with the Petzl Now RL, you can have 1,500 lumens. So that's my advice. Try Super it out. Day. Let yeah. us know what you think. I used yeah. it to fix our uh, oven vent the other day. We had no light because I had to turn off the power to fix you know, the vent and it worked great. So <laughs> I love I'm that. I most likely will use it for Washington States, but I haven't tried it on a proper trail run yet because it's getting so light out that I, I know in the dark. So <laughs> it's super, it's super comfortable. I would hundred percent rec- recommend it as you're finishing up Western States headlamp. Nice. We'll give okay. it a try. Who's got a slam? Who wants to slam? Hillary, you want to slam first? You slam first. I have a slam. Um, it was actually it's because um ha- there's been some awesome DMs coming our way on our Trail Society Instagrams. So if you haven't given us a follow, please go give us a follow. We post all of our episodes there. Also, some cool info you can send us our your DMs there. So trail.society on Instagram. Um but I have a personal one. Um, was out on a like a hike, as I'm doing now, testing out my ankle, and um, I had this wonderful interaction um, with this man and his daughter, and they recognized me on the trail. And she listens to our podcast, and she got her dad to start listening to it. So they they've been really really loving it lately. I think it's it's relatively new, um, but just it's out there in the world. So that was wonderful. So, I mean, we like DMs, but also the personal, the personal things are, you know, talking to people in person is a, is a thing. And I appreciate it. <laughs> I love it. Keely, do you have, do you have one? I have kind of a combo one. Mine's a little, um, yeah, it's around Lauren Fleshman's book. So oh, cool. I, I obviously like read a lot of it before our interview, but I did not read the thing cover to cover because I just didn't have it before the interview in time but I just finished it post MCAT in a day, <laughs> read it from start to finish in a day because I was that enthralled going through it again. Um, and I just, I mean, I loved the book. And so I, I just wanted to give another shout out to that. If you hadn't listened to our episode with Lauren, it's episode 40. And one of the coolest messages I think was in the inbox was someone talking about that episode. 
And their message is as follows. She says, the book was amazing. It shook me. I was a former collegiate runner and I dealt with almost every single thing she spoke of. Um, now as a mother of a competitive runner, I want my daughter's career to be very different than mine. And I'm so thankful for some of Lauren's insight. Plus now as a trail and ultra runner, I've been really struggling as I again am going through a life change through perimenopause and catch myself going back to the mindset of my college days. So I'm healthy now and I don't want my daughter to go through this at all. This book and your podcast helped me connect all of this together. And I'm now accepting that my bo adult body is changing and that is okay. I'm trying to work through it in a very healthy way. And I'm very thankful to make the connection. Oh, I love that so much. I think Lauren's book, it obviously highlights a lot of the um, negative sides that Lauren experienced as a high school collegiate runner. However, I do think it's just very... A very important message. And I think, again, kind of to Jessica's point can be kind of portrayed across all journeys of, of a woman's life as they go through navigating differences in their body, differences in hormones. And yeah, check out episode 40 if you missed it. And thanks for the note. I love that so much. Um, we had someone write in about, we talked on the getting sick episode, which is like so ironic that like we legit recorded that episode, you guys, on that Friday. And then I woke up Saturday night sick. Like, and I was like, I'm traveling to Madeira in six days. Like, what the heck? Um, so I tried not to panic. I tried to take my own advice. But someone wrote in saying that they're looking for some of the data that we were talking about. And we'll link the article that I wrote for I Run Far in the show notes. I'll send that over so that, that can get linked up. Um, but essentially, they've got a they've got a pal who's injured and stressing a lot maybe doing too much cross training um, and not getting enough recovery in. And they're hoping that these numbers will help their friend feel better about giving their body the appropriate amount of rest without this fear of losing fitness. And that fear is so, so, so real. And so I wrote a factor fiction piece for Iron Far a while back that covered the kind of like the needing to take time off um, and like, would you actually detrain in that time period? And there's some really good data there as far as like, you can actually take a lot of time off um, like pretty seriously off. And like the things that you lose are like neuromuscular and blood plasma volume. And you get those things back really, really quickly. I promise. So for the individual looking for that, or if you are looking for that information, we'll link, um, that article in our show notes. So go check it out. Some myth busting over on a fact or fiction piece for you. <laughs> I think that's it. I think we did it. Yay. Yay. Thanks all for listening to me ramble about Madeira and my <laughs> sleep deprived state. It's now after midnight here in London, but um, I can't wait to be back stateside and talk to you all more soon. And until next time, we'll see you out on the trails. Bye.